this week on the It's a Monkey podcast. People travel for, for very different reasons. A family could be traveling together because they're going on a holiday. Uh, business people might be traveling to an important meeting overseas. Some other people might just be trying to go from one place to another uh, for the cheapest for the cheapest way possible. And so there's all these different sort of desires that travelers have when they get on a plane. But if you take a look at the plane cabin, the airplane cabins that exist, they're all basically the same thing, right? And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to enable more personalization and choice. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. It is Thursday, the 18th of May, 2017 in Sydney, Australia. You're probably listening to this podcast on Friday, the 19th of May or Saturday, the 20th of May, or maybe even later, but we're coming to you on Thursday, the 18th of May from Sydney, Australia, downtown Sydney, autumn in Sydney. It is episode 93 of the It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to tech, startups, tech economy, hardware, software, blockchain, you name it. We talk about it on this podcast. We have a terrific show coming up for you. Later on in the show, I chat with Jason Chu, who works for Airbus Industries in Silicon Valley. Now, Airbus, of course, is of the aeroplane fame, right? Uh, I'm sure if you've done any flying, you would have flown on an Airbus. Airbus and Boeing basically own the market. Now, Airbus, interestingly, have an outpost in Silicon Valley to um, have all sorts of um, experimental initiatives. And Jason's involved in an initiative to redesign the cabin into a modular format. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that later on in the show, so stay tuned for that. Of course, you can go to itsamonkey.com for previous episodes, ton of great episodes there. If you're a first-time listener, very big welcome to you. You can always email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. And as always, my co-host, Kate Frappel, who is the design lead at Manage Flutter and Manage Social, is with me. Kate, thanks for joining us. No worries. Um, lots happening in the news. We always like to start the podcast off with uh, what's happening in the news. Kate, Google I.O. conference has kicked off now, which is a, a conference where Google showcase their latest um, thoughts on the industry, the latest technologies, some stats. What's, uh, what's happened at Google I.O. this week? Uh, so they've had a few uh, significant announcements, uh, one of them being that Android has surpassed 2 billion active monthly devices, which is a bit of a, a feather in their cap. Uh, secondly, Google Assistant, they've integrated with a technology called Google Lens. And basically this means you can put your phone camera on and point it at, say, a restaurant or a flower, and it will give you ratings or information. Or in for the example of the flower, it would give you the, the type of flower that it is. So that's quite exciting. Another example they used was for Wi-Fi. So on your router, you would climb underneath your desk at home and try and find the password and the username. Now you can point your Google phone at it. Uh, it'll take the take a picture basically of those details and automatically connect you to the Wi-Fi without having to manually type them in. So basically putting a, um, a layer of intelligence around the camera yeah. So that you just can point your camera at various things and it has a contextual understanding of the information in there. Yeah. So you point your camera at a, at a flower, it will be able to match that flower with, you know, tell you what the, the flower is. Or you can uh, point it at your router and it can log you into the Wi-Fi. Um, so it's a, a layer of, and is this currently live on Android? It's, I think so, yeah, on some phones they've launched that. The other thing there is that Google Google Assistant, which is the equivalent of Apple Siri, they've sort of disconnected it from uh, being exclusively Google and now you can download it and use it on your iPhone, which is an uh, interesting competition for the likes of Siri. Yeah. I, um, do you use Siri much? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't yeah, use... It's not I very... I find it a bit clunky. It's still not quite there. I don't use uh, Google Assistant uh, much either. Some other uh, interesting announcements at Google I.O. They announced that there's, what was it, $3 billion, uh, not $3 billion, $3 billion phones 
or at devices a month, Android devices a month are using Android? So there's two billion active monthly devices. That was a celebration that they had. Um, two, two billion, yes. sorry. So that includes watches, tablets, and anything on, that's running Android, TVs, etc. So that's, and that's quite an impressive number of devices. And, and um, the CEO of Google, uh, uh, Sundar Pichai, I think that's how you pronounce his name, he um, also said that, you know, importantly, the future of Google is uh, very much based on artificial intelligence and, of course, the speciality within that machine learning, mm. which basically yeah, means that algorithms learn on their own and they, they improve over time and basically said this is, this is the technology that's going to underpin the next wave, all this technology that gets smarter and smarter and smarter. And um, he revealed some initiatives, including them developing a chip that has AI artificial intelligence embedded and that they may be able to um, you know implement in, in android so it's still early days for all this technology but um yeah very much artificial intelligence where everything's going to going to learn one of the limitations of computers up until now has been that once you program them a certain way or they do something that's it it's static right even mm. though even though you're making the same mistake with that computer even even though your phone misunderstands you every single time it doesn't ever go, oh, I'm misunderstanding that word every single time. I guess I should learn and change that. But of course, machine learning and artificial intelligence actually does take that into account. And that's where machines are going to get really, really, this becomes, when self-learning machines are around, this becomes really interesting. And of course, they've, they've done this for a while in things like chess games and, you know, where they get better and better. And, um, and um, there's, it's a really interesting, quite sort of trippy area. Yeah, because at the moment, if you think about it, it's not necessarily a learning thing, but your operating system, you know, they have updates. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of the current way of, of improving and yeah. improving each time yeah. is a new update. It's very sort of uh, discrete, you know, it's, it's, in, it's in steps, it's not continual, and it's also more generic. So, yeah, it's interesting. The CEO of Google made that comment about machine learning and artificial intelligence. And They're doing some interesting things um, on uh -huh. that note, sorry. Android O, which is their next update, I believe, uh, it's got like a beta version available and they've made some improvements to notifications. You can now have, if you open up a video on YouTube, let's say, you can make it smaller, put it in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, this is on your phone, and then have a notepad or something open so you can multitask. Uh -huh. At the moment, it's sort of one app at a time right um but on yeah the new one you can try and do both plus interestingly i found it's like a small thing but when you try and copy and paste things on your phone it's often really fiddly mm. you've got to hold Android, your finger down android's and, pretty good well they've made even more improvements to it now so you literally just double tap on something a uh -huh. phone number or anything and it just copies it you don't cool. have to worry about individual characters yeah, Android. It's already it's 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 quite nice. I've got an HTC, and I find copying and pasting relatively easy there. It's gotten gotten a lot better. Mm. Um, another announcement that they made, which is great, they they um, the standalone virtual reality headsets on the way. So Google's VR virtual reality is is on the way, and you'll be able to just you know hook in one of your Android phones, whether it's a HTC or um, and Sam Samsung already have this. I mean, there is a Samsung VR set that I've used that you just put the Samsung phone in the VR set and, it's, and it works pretty well. So they, they announced that there's some, it says, uh, including HTC won't, you can just put it on the headset track virtual space. I don't believe you do need to have a, a PC or a phone or any cords. Sorry, I, mis I mis misunderstood that announcement. It's a standalone headset, so meaning that you won't need any phone. Yeah. Right? Google's VR ambitions are expanding, won't require a smartphone or PC to power the user's VR experience. You just put it on at work and it works. The headsets track virtual space with something Google calls WorldSense Power by technology from its Tango augmented reality system. Now, I don't know I don't know how it gets the other bits and pieces where it gets it from. I mean, currently you get it from your computer or your phone. Mm, it could be Bluetooth. Yeah. Perhaps. 
I'm not too sure. And they didn't really reveal too many details. So they it's just a little sort bit of said standalone VR. A little bit vague on that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think they realized that the AR, VR, machine learning, everything is the future around that. Um, they announced some changes to Google Photos. Now, I have to say I use Android. Google Photos is just improving by the day. It's brilliant. It's yeah, really fantastic. It's um, very, very impressive. They, they're doing a great, great job on Google Photos. And of course, photos are very much the heart of them, the, the smartphone in a way. You know, especially if you're with families and you're taking photos of kids and things like that. So be able to organize that and upload them to the cloud and surface them. And they're doing a great job. So mm. Interestingly, though, they're talking about launching physical photo books as well that uh -huh. you can format. Right. in Google Photos and order it for, I think it's about $10. So it's just interesting that they're going back to a print format as well. Books are available beginning today for prices that start at $10.999. Yeah, I mean, I think I suppose if they make it easy for you to curate them or if it's already curated and it says, you know, because on Google Photos you can select which photos you want to send to the cloud. So if you send the selective ones to the cloud and then it just says, hey, you know, these photos that you've selected that are backed up for eternity in the cloud do you want to you know spin them out into a book every now and then yeah why not <laughs> send them to send them to grandmother you know yeah. and um sometimes it's nicer to have something physical you can look through i've got i subscribe like a few years ago i got a printout of my selective instagram photos it was okay. a company that uh, would print them out in a nice stock and would package them nicely and i've got them in my place on a shelf and yeah every now and then i take them out or for friends there and it's got some of my favorite instagram photos they came out pretty well yeah so i've heard of um companies that do that they make them into magnets and stuff as well yeah they just take it from your instagram yeah yeah so um anyway that's google io as well this week was the TechCrunch Disrupt in New York. Now, TechCrunch Disrupt is one of my favorite conferences. I've been lucky to go to TechCrunch Disrupt many times, both in San Francisco and in New York. And TechCrunch Disrupt, of course, put together by the, the blog TechCrunch, which was started originally by Michael Arrington and then it got sold to AOL, which then got sold to Verizon. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not sure who sort of runs TechCrunch itself these days, but it's got a great history of being a terrific conference, a Silicon Valley sort of startup entrepreneurship conference. And they've always had a hackathon on the first day of TechCrunch, 24-hour hackathon where people get together, developers, product people, front end, back end, and they try to develop a working prototype and they enter this competition and they get one minute to pitch it on the stage, right? And I've James, who's used to be on this podcast he he was involved in some of the hackathons and um at, at TechCrunch, and it's uh they supply pizzas and they work overnight and it's all a bit of a you know novelty and it's a it's lot fun. of fun and i saw this week at, uh, a product come out came out of TechCrunch, which i've spoken about many times or the concept i've spoken about many times on this show right kate where i've said i would love if i get notified of my expiring food in my fridge yeah. Right, because I'm not very good with domestic chores and um, I've thrown away way too much food that I've let go. And lo and behold, this popped up onto my feed that someone at the TechCrunch Disrupt developed an app that scans your receipt, puts the inventory into your phone, works out based on a database what the expiry date is approximately going to be and it stays in touch with you about your produce. So I was incredibly excited to see that. Um, we're going to quickly pay, play you a clip of the presentation. It's only a minute clip from TechCrunch Disrupt where the team uh, presented the, their solution to the audience. Americans are ridiculously wasteful, especially when it comes to food. That's 133 billion pounds per year uh, 20 pounds per person per month of food just completely wasted. 40% of food bought is wasted, and half of that is produce. Personally, I have a problem of thinking that I'm a lot more healthy when I'm grocery shopping than going home, forgetting about everything, and being left with a fridge full of food that I don't realize is going bad. So we created Waste Not. With Waste Not, you upload a picture of your receipt, and then it identifies what produce you have there. And then it bugs you incessantly. It does not let you forget. It 
lets you know how much time you have left before your food expires. Then, if you reach the danger zone and you still haven't let it know that you've used your food, it links you to recipes how to use it. If you still haven't gotten the message, then it expires. It tells you it's expired, and it tells you how to compost it. Thank you very much. So there you have it. It's um, the a team of three put together this prototype. I hope it goes somewhere. I'm going to try to tweet out to them and tell them we mentioned it on the show um, because it's a fantastic idea. I think what would be terrific, Kate, is if some of the big grocery stores in Australia, we have Woolworths and Coles and Aldi, if one of them would link it in with your loyalty card, so you scan in the produce, right? You Then you swipe your loyalty card. It's talks to your app on your phone, boom, it's got everything in your phone without you scanning a receipt. It knows the exact product and the expiry date, or it can at least approximate the expiry date, a maximum expiry date. And boom, now you've got your app and a huge value add for people and competitive advantage for them. And yeah, that's, uh, I'm sure I'm sure it's just too much of a an, an obvious problem and an obvious solution to the problem so i'm hoping it will happen yeah definitely i mean <laughs> i couldn't help thinking uh you know amazon's new checkout list stores mm-hmm. it would be interesting that that you hooked in your identity and your phone with instead of a loyalty card basically and that stuff just got docked to your name and could also talk to your home device like google home for example and so everything would be linked to alert you that things are expiring yeah, and it's. I think it will be the type of app. Uh, I think in a year or two we'll be talking. We'll say it's one of these apps that. Wow, how did we live without it? Mm, perhaps I, th- uh, I like how she makes the point as well that if it does expire, it recommends composting methods. Yeah. And right before it is um, going to expire, they can recommend recipes and other things you can use. Yeah, and even there's certain. You know, it's a big difference between meat expiring and maybe other food stuffs where it just doesn't become as good but it's totally safe yeah like bananas yeah it's it's yeah um, overripe bananas actually healthier for you Mm. so but even if they're not nice to eat individually you can actually make them into like banana cake yeah and they're safe right whereas like rotting meat can kill you so (laughs) (laughs) so there's a big difference and if that app if that app guides you and there's it's a you know food wastage is a huge huge issue i mean it's i think there's something like a third of the food in the world gets thrown away something Mm, absolutely massive you know which is just you know the spirit of it is to optimize everything and um you know not waste and and then they can learn your patterns and maybe even at the checkout it says hey you every time you buy too much broccoli and you're throwing it away just go easy on the broccoli yeah good idea (laughs) yeah so anyway that's a tech crunch disrupt if you ever have a chance to go to that conference um, head on over there. I think they even they used to have options where you could apply to volunteer at the conference because it is quite expensive. Okay. But if you volunteered at the conference and they would give you a heavily subsidized ticket and then you would help usher people and do things well, like that's that. That's interesting. So, yeah. It did sound like a few of the um, the finalists, they were all young people. Yeah, I think they may have stu- – I think the hackathon – I think if you apply for the hackathon and and you get some discounted ticket or an included ticket because they, they like to p- have people applying for the hackathon. Hmm. So um, it sounds like it. I mean, even the the winners. I'll briefly uh, note: there were two seventeen-year-old girls and one sixteen-year-old, and they created an app in VR that helps diagnose ADHD. So the the app we spoke about came third place, right? I think. Uh, Waste they not. were the second runner-up. Second runner-up, um, but now you're talking about the actual winners. The actual winner, yes. Yeah. So they got uh, five thousand dollars. Um, which isn't bad. And they, for. They, they, what, three teenage girls that developed this app. Yes. And it, it can diagnose ADHD. It helps diagnose. Right. The problem they were answering is that sometimes it can take up to six months to properly diagnose ADHD. And the sort of data that they can get from three different tests in VR um, can speed up this process significantly. Fantastic. I mean, because mm, it tests motor skills reaction times and concentration as well you know the only problem with with an app like that is you you got to get it really right 
Yes. Right. Okay. Because a false positive on that has significant flow and effects. So, you know, if it says you've got ADHD <laughs> and it gets, oh, yeah, no. it I gets think drawn. they pitched it as like a, it's a, one of the a, tools. An assistant. Yeah. Assistant one of the to tools. Assistant to a medical. Yeah. Sure. And it was a hackathon, but fantastic. Three teenage girls developed yeah. this. Yeah. It was great. I didn't actually watch that video. I'll, I'll watch that video. But um, the hackathon's also incredibly impressive, the the talents that um, – and they've become a thing. I mean, even in Australia, there's a lot of hackathons. And if you're a developer, it's, it's an incredibly exciting place to, to get involved with, um, you know, the new technologies and try out different things. And we had a hackathon at an off-site a couple of years ago, and the theme was – blockchain and bitcoin and, and they developed different bits and pieces and it was it was interesting cool yeah, yeah i remember um one of the devs that used to work here andre he used to love going to hackathons he loved going to hackathons he did yeah. really well at them too yeah because he was it, it suits a certain type of developer it suits a developer that can move really fast and is and and uh, be a full stack type of developer that can do a bit of front end bit of design um, architect the thing and some developers um, need to work in a more methodical process environment. But the developers that, that, that are scrappy and like to put something mm. together and prototype and MVP and all of that, they, they love the hackathons. Yeah. I think too, I've never, I've never done one. I've been interested though. They can partner with designers and front end. Sure. And, and it sort of becomes like a, a, a team, team effort to get something out the door really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could put together the designs and, the, and they could, build something from the designs or add into the product ideas mm. the grunt work is the development though Definitely. you know the the, yeah. the a huge proportion of it especially you know in, in the hackathons but yeah they form teams and can even develop a logo around it and develop a concept and you know within 24 hours you've got you've got a you've got something to launch prototype yeah, yeah. yeah. logo branding style guides you name it so anyway um, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to talk about the future of air travel with jason chu from airbus in silicon valley stay with us the it's a monkey podcast is brought to you by check dog use check dog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors broken links and broken images all with the push of one button CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. We chat about everything relating to technology, startups, entrepreneurships. And one of the areas we don't cover very regularly is the, the hardware side of things and especially the very, very big hardware side of things. And uh, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you will notice that Kate and I often uh, land up talking a little bit about uh, air travel and planes. Uh, we chatted previously um, on uh, a few episodes ago about self-driving mini plane in a way that uh, is, is being developed in Europe somewhere. Um, but we also comment about how little air travel has changed over the years and I'm happy to say at the end of my Skype line I've actually got someone who's involved right in the thick of uh, the airplane and air travel industry Jason Chua who's the project executive at Transpose which is a project backed by A-Cubed now A-Cubed is actually part of Airbus and it's Airbus's outpost in Silicon Valley so I had no idea that this existed Jason thank you so much for joining us on the podcast well, thanks for having me, Kevin. Jason, quickly give us a snapshot of this A-cubed Silicon Valley outpost. I had no idea that this massive European company, which is a collaboration of various European countries, actually has, a, a, it seems like, a relatively decent presence in Silicon Valley. Yeah, so A-cubed is Airbus's Silicon Valley outpost, and we're, we're pretty young. We're, we're a little bit less than two years old, and we exist to disrupt the industry from the inside out. Our focus is on executing advanced projects because we want to be the ones that disrupt ourselves rather than some upstart coming in and eating our lunch, as is true in other industries. And so the reason we're located in Silicon Valley is because we want to tap into all the talent and ecosystems and technologies that exist here and in also other innovation hubs. 
Um, but the, the great thing about being linked with Airbus is that we're still able to tap into the deep expertise and you know several decades of building aircraft. Uh, and so it's a really great, uh, great blend of those two cultures. Now, the project Transpose, um, so that sounds like what you're working on at the moment. And tell us a little bit more about that project. That project is, is, it sounds like it's based around optimizing the internal space of an aircraft. Is that correct? That's correct. It, it's optimizing. It's a, it's a project that, that's trying to change the way aircraft cabins are designed. So mm-hmm. we're rethinking how passenger experience can happen. Um, and in doing so, we're rethinking aircraft cabin architecture. Uh, we want to make airplanes more flexible. And in doing so, we want to make air travel a bit more human. Um, and the way we're doing that is we're creating a modular aircraft cabin system. So when you say modular, I mean, it's going to be able to be changed on the fly or it's going to require a one-week downtime to change the internals of the aircraft? How modular is modular? Modu- uh, so the, the, we're designing our, our modules to be able to be changed out in a matter of minutes. Right. So right now, it takes about a month to change out the entire interior of, an, of a wide-body aircraft, uh, which is a really, really long time. And since airplanes are so expensive, that downtime is quite the what quite the large opportunity cost for airlines. And for 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 people that don't know how to don't know how airplane cabins are put together, I, I certainly didn't before I entered this industry. It's really it's a lot more complex than just rearranging your furniture uh, in your living room or, or bedroom. There's a, there's a lot of complex systems that need to be integrated. And as as airplanes have become increasingly more optimized and specialized and technology has developed for things like uh, seatback entertainment and new safety systems and things like that the 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 number of systems and engineering work that needs to be done when you want to move seats around or when you want to move a laboratory forward or back backwards in an airplane it's just increased exponentially so right now it's really really difficult really really time consuming to, to modify the aircraft cabin with transpose we're trying to change that so the vision is if you've got a overnight flight, um, you configure it for perhaps sleeper cabins and then it's a daytime flight and you configure it perhaps for upright, sorry, uh, sleeper, sleeper seats and then you, a, a daytime mm-hmm. flight and you configure it for upright seats but maybe some space for a coffee bar or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly correct. It, it's, it's really interesting because people travel for, for very different reasons. A family could be traveling together because they're going on a holiday. Uh, business people might be traveling to an important meeting overseas. Some other people might just be trying to go from one place to another uh, for the cheapest for the cheapest way possible. And so there's all these different sort of desires that travelers have when they get on a plane. But if you take a look at the plane cabin, the airplane cabins that exist, they're all basically the same thing, right? And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to enable more personalization and choice so that the family the family that's trying to get you know across an ocean uh, without driving everyone else crazy and being able to spend some time amongst themselves we can give them a, a family module where there is a space where families can sort of where kids can play and families can sort of have a, a quieter space or business people maybe we can give them a place where they can be more productive and they can actually get a lot of work done without being too interrupted by, by for example, this young family. And so th- that's, that's what the vision of Transpose is. We're trying to bring more choice and personalization to the diverse traveler market that's out there. Jason, why has air travel changed so little in so many years? I mean, some, some would even say it's probably regressed. Now, would the, the, the one caveat I would say that is the safety factor has increased significantly. But if you take the safety factor aside, I mean, we're still traveling at the same speeds. It's probably gotten more uncomfortable for the average flyer, particularly in the US, where I guess they they very commercially driven and they don't have state-sponsored carriers. I mean, is Airbus, it sounds like they have a sense of this and they have a sense that they, they try to find a path outward to, to, to the next sort of level of uh, new age flight. But why, why has there been so little innovation from the passenger experience side of things? Well, I think, I think there has been a good amount of innovation in terms of uh, airlines giving people more choice. And certainly the, the technology that's been aboard aircraft has, has slowly improved. Uh, in terms of, of entertainment offerings. 
Um, but the the great thing about uh, air travel and commercial commercial aviation in particular is that a lot of people want to fly, and the number of people that want to fly every year continues to grow at an exponential rate. So it's a it's a large and growing market, mm-hmm. and that means that a lot of people want to be in it, right? So it's a very competitive market, which means that all these airlines need to find ways to optimize their business. And so when when you have a lot of competition, it's really sometimes difficult to to spend a lot of money on you know new fancy and risky risky products, especially when you have a situation where you know your your cabin retrofits cost tens of millions of dollars, and then you have to live with them for for almost a decade. And so what we're trying to do with Transpose is we're trying to lower that cost, increase the speed, and just make it simpler overall. So the business risk associated with trying out new things is greatly minimized, and airlines and the industry can experiment in new ways, bringing new offerings, new choices, um, and new products out to passengers. Is Airbus Airbus's vision? I mean, planes can essentially be self-flying now from a theoretical standpoint. Is is Airbus's vision um, along uh, something those lines and lobbying, perhaps you know the the powers that be that this is something that should be considered, or for the foreseeable future, at least of the large commercial airlines, are we going to have pilots in the planes? Well, I, I can't I can't speak to Air, big Airbus's strategy overall. Certainly, mm-hmm. we want to make sure that whatever we do, it's it's safe. Um, that's that's our number one priority. But I think you're, you're speaking to, there's a lot of technological trends that are starting to impact commercial aviation, right. whether that's an autonomous flight or supersonic flight for, for smaller aircraft. Um, we think that that is going to sort of ex- be able to expand the range of offerings that Airbus has. But the heart of the market, at least for the foreseeable future, is going to be in large commercial aircraft. That's how most people, that's how you and I are going to probably get around over the next few decades. And so Transpose is trying to make that experience uh, more exciting and uh, bring more personalization to that to that arena. And the Airbus, of course, has one of the largest air- commercial aircrafts. I actually saw one take off the other day. I was at Sydney Airport picking up someone, and uh, uh, I was sitting there with my girlfriend having a coffee. And wow, it's really, really, really big. It's quite remarkable when it actually finally leaves the the runway and starts floating in the air. It's quite a sight. Yeah, actually, on my first day working uh, working at A-Cubed, I I was in Toulouse at one of the uh, assembly lines for the A380, and you know before that, I had I had never actually I'd never actually um, seen it except for you know on the jet bridge or from a terminal window, um, and so standing on the ground looking up at this airplane, it just it just strikes you how gigantic this thing is. And so before coming to to Airbus, I was actually working at places like Motorola and Google working on consumer hardware. And, you know, I thought that that was pretty cool, um, you know, putting together things like a cell phone. But the change of scale was just incredible, right? Something that fits in your pocket to something that many of you can fit inside. And that's why, you know, this is such an exciting opportunity, I think. Aviation is, uh, I think it's, it's sort of a a sleeper, a sleeper industry for for innovation, um, and I think you know now people are starting to realize that transportation and the way we get around are just are, is going to be just as important as how our how data how how bits of data get around. Well, I mean, Airbus is a bit of a unique animal in that it's a collaboration between what well, it's France and Germany. Um, are there there's some other countries involved as well, right? Yeah, so Airbus, it's uh, it's a it's an international company, but its primary headquarters are in Europe, and so uh, we like to think that Airbus, being sort of a, a collection of different diverse cultures, is, is actually really it's quite a natural fit here in Silicon Valley, where there's a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds that are coming together to come up with new ideas, and I think that that's where innovation comes from. It comes from people that have diverse perspectives and diverse backgrounds that can when you know when taken together approach challenges from lots of different points of view and come up with some new unexpected solutions and airbus certainly has a good track record of coming up with new innovative products and i think a cubed is here to try to supercharge that how, how does the company culture work at airbus i mean they the french work culture and the german work culture and the american work culture are all very very specific and very very different what gets spat out the other end when there's all these cultures working together well, uh, 
I think it's really cool because at the end of the day, we're building things that fly. Mm -hmm. And when you can look up in the sky and see something that you worked on flying, I think that's the best feeling in the world. So I, I think that's one thing that can that can really unite um, a very diverse population because the mission and the products that we're building are just super cool. So I saw some of uh, on your blog, you posted some images of your first prototypes. You're actually life-size mock-ups. Any idea when some of um, your work is going to land up in a, in a working commercial airplane? Are you, are you talking months, years, or a big X factor of who knows? It depends on a variety of factors. Well, we believe we can get flying in the next couple of years. And mm -hmm. actually, one of our modules has made it made its way to an airport nearby. So uh, a couple a couple of weeks ago, we we deployed a prototype experience, uh, module experience at San Jose Airport, just a couple miles away from our offices, uh, and that was a partnership with the the fitness brands Reebok and Peloton. We basically created a gym in the sky, and this is a great example of new types of experiences that passengers have been asking for. So a place for them to be a little bit active um, while they're in flight. But it's also a really good example of the new types of partnerships and, and, uh, and new business opportunities, frankly, that a modular cabin creates. So um, when you have these different cabin sections, you can put new types of activities. And uh, if you're a brand, that's a really attractive space to, to sort of to, to bring a compelling experience to, your con to a consumer in a new, new and fresh way. Um, and so we're really excited about that. When I'm on a plane, the two things I think about it's a great time to do is exercise and to learn and to I'd love to listen to talks or almost be at a conference on the plane and of course Australians being based in Sydney one thing Australians are not scared of is flying you know other people laugh mm -hmm. at us when we consider a flight of eight hours pretty short actually <laughs> anything that's one flight we actually consider short as and as soon as it's too long flight then we say that's long so australians definitely know all about flying and um, i'm sure you could use us for a lot of uh, testing and feedback because everyone just flies um, you know to southeast asia to the states um, and they've just launched a direct flight to london i believe from perth which is the first time that they, there's a direct flight from Sydney, uh, sorry, from Australia to Europe. So that's quite a big deal as well. And I believe um, in a few years there's going to be a direct flight from Sydney to New York. That's going to be about 21 hours on. Uh, I'm not wow. sure if it's a new Airbus or a new Boeing. One, one of the two. And um, so, so we we know all about flying here. So anything that will improve our experience, we definitely going to be waving that flag, Jason. <laughs> Um, well, maybe I should come down and visit you guys. So, yeah, I mean, you know, 21 hours in a plane. Uh, I think, you know, there, there are more things that people might want to be doing besides, you know, sitting down or walking up to walking to, to go to the bathroom. And so hopefully Transpose will allow allow airlines, airlines to offer some of these new types of experiences and opportunities. Now, you mentioned previously that you uh, were involved in Google at Project. Is it, is it ARA? Do you pronounce it ARA? Mm -hmm. That was a project that, that I worked on at Google, correct? So I remember that project. I actually thought it was really smart. I thought it was – so this is a project for a modular smartphone where, the way I understand it, you can remove hardware components of, of screens and cases and, 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 and sort of mix and match with, with different components and in a way customize your own phone. Is that correct? Oh, that's correct. It was, it was uh, about how do you create a, a phone that – you can tailor and uh, adapt to different types of situations, correct? And is that project still going? I looked at the Twitter account. It seems like there were tweets in 2016, but nothing since then. Yeah, so my understanding is that uh, after si since I left the project, uh, the project has been put on, on hold, as, as projects do from time to time. But it, uh, it was a great experience, and I learned a lot about how to work in a fast-paced, innovative environment. I've tried to bring that spirit with me as I've come over here to A-Cubed. Did any of those phones actually come to life? Were they working prototypes? Uh, there definitely were working prototypes. I, I have mm -hmm. seen them and I've, I've, uh, I've heard calls made from them. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, uh, it might, it's, it's, uh, it'll be sort of an a individual <laughs> or a small, small sample size experience for, I think, uh, the foreseeable future until it finally makes it out to market. Well, but, uh, the mobile space is also another space that seems to have become a little bit like um, airlines in that it's imp 
the, the improvements are there, but at the moment they've been uh, they've been marginal compared to the great leaps of the I guess the mid two thousands. Yeah, um, and you know that that sort of uh, disparity in pace of technological innovation was was one of the things that inspired Transpose, right? You see, everywhere else in your life, the pace of change is really really high, and then you get on a plane and you see the same cabin that you saw, you know, five ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine using a five to ten year old smartphone, I mean, first of all, I don't think there were many smartphones that existed ten years ago, right? And so what we're trying to do by creating more flexibility within the cabin as we're trying to bring the aircraft cabin pace of innovation sort of up up to the pace of the rest of the world. Is there any, I mean, Boeing is is obviously one of your biggest competitors and if not the the most important competitor, it's, it's I, I believe, one of the biggest exporters in the U.S. It's a flagship company. Is the rivalry between Airbus and Boeing, I guess, of a friendly nature or is it very, um, is it something that's taken quite uh, more seriously at, at Airbus? I think that competition raises everyone's game. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it helps the industry continually try to try to outdo outdo itself, right? Because uh, if if one company doesn't do something, then the other one will. And that's what we're that's what we're trying to get out in front of um, at Acube and with projects like Transpose. We're trying to seek out the frontiers of what's possible and then make them into reality through these productizable demonstrators that we build. Well, as someone who flies pretty regularly to the States, and um, I fly reasonably well, I would say, but I'm very, very much looking forward to any changes that trickle down to, to the user experience. I'm, not, I'm really not that interested in the, the, the alcohol and, and even so much as the food. I just want to, on these long flights, I just want some, some comfort so that you arrive at the other end and you don't feel like you haven't fought a war and you need a week to recover. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, me too. Jason Chu, the uh, project executive at Transpose, a project backed by Acube. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Good luck with everything. We'll definitely be keeping an eye uh, in the aircraft uh, of seeing all your handiwork. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. Hi, my name is Dave Zarati, and I'm the customer support specialist here at Manage Flitter. Manage Flitter is a tool that helps you work faster and smarter on Twitter. With Manage Flitter, you can clean up and grow your Twitter account. You will also get access to useful Twitter analytics, social content scheduling, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com and start your free trial today. Kate, I'm really happy that Airbus is not waiting around for someone else to disrupt them because, as I mentioned in the interview, air travel has been a little bit slow from a consumer's perspective, from things that affect us directly to innovate. The experience from when I first traveled when I was 11 years old to you know, my recent trip to Melbourne, it's not that, in fact, in fact it's not different. In fact, no. I can't think of one thing. I think in the States, maybe the only thing that's different is you got Wi-Fi. Okay, that's a big difference. What I got the entertainment, the TV on the back of the seat. I mean, they had that in, I mean, they, they only had that at the back of the seats when I was young in business class. They still had it though, which is interesting. So yeah. it's still not changed that much. In, in economy, they had the communal movie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I've only ever known them, uh, and only international flights, um, but I've only ever known them to have individual yeah. screens. And they're quite good though. Like they, they show you um, movie selections that are quite recent. Yeah, they're not bad. They're you can't not bad. necessarily find them every day type I think, thing. I think these days most people take their own entertainment on um, tablets and things like that. I think these airlines are even looking at just providing Wi-Fi to their entertainment systems and they'll That's save true. heaps of money because they don't need these super expensive entertainment systems. They just have a, a server or a, some sort of internal Netflix type of system yep. and you just hook it up via internal Wi-Fi and boom, away you go. I think that's what they do. Yeah. I've got a few on my phone, uh, Virgin and I think Qantas as well. You download their entertainment app and then you you use your own device yeah. and you hook in so they don't have to actually display anything on the back of the seat anymore. Yeah, and they'll save so much money. Those entertainment systems are very expensive per seat. Right to wire them up and have have all of all of that in there. So yeah, I had no idea Airbus, 
you know, had a presence in, in America, let alone Silicon Valley. And mm. um, the, y- you can have a look on, on Jason's blog where you can actually see the, the life-size prototypes of them, mm. you know, building out this modular type of, um, you know, within the fuselage of, of the plane. And yeah, there is a lot of room for innovation on the experience, the customer experience side of things. And oh, it's, it's huge. I love how you mentioned too that um, they're sort of designing these modules that can be replaced within a couple of hours. So you could totally configure configure the interior of a plane based on who you were flying. Yeah, so if you have a p- flight that is going to be half full, right, you may as well give everyone more space instead of them you know, lifting up hand rests and you know, sleeping across the seat. You go, well, look, the plane's half full. We may as well give them a better experience, mm. you know, just turn those seats into beds or whatever. It makes a whole lot of sense. It really does. Mm. Tricky It'd problem to solve, though. Super difficult. Oh, definitely. But um, I think it'd be interesting, too. It's a little bit uh, extravagant. But if you could fully customize these planes, then the consumer can pick what sort of entertainment and activities or uh, facilities they want on their flight and book those flights accordingly. Yeah. So, for example, yeah. uh, one could be fitted out with a gym and and not really family-friendly. Yeah. So if you're the type of person who thinks they want to have a workout while they're flying, then you book that flight because you know that that plane is going to have gym equipment on it. And then another flight would be have compartments for, for families and where kids can crawl around and stuff like that. And so if you were a family traveling, you book onto that flight. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think... It's very competitive industry and these airlines look at ways of differentiating. But there's a lot of safety issues. It's, it's, it's a long lead time to d- develop and engineer and test and get approval. Yeah. And very different to the software industry. You know, the software industry, we can decide we want to do something today and tomorrow we've got a prototype in a hackathon in 24 hours. You've got a mm. business. The airline industry le- needs to move slow intentionally because they are, you know, even little things we take for granted now in the old days of air crashes, what they figured out were a lot of people were dying after the plane had hit the ground when the seats were getting ripped out of the fuselage. Oh, so yeah. now the seats are bolted in in a yeah. much more strong way, right? And they discovered people couldn't escape from the smoke because they couldn't see the exits. Now there's lights at the bottom. So with each air crash, they've improved. So from that side of things, there's been massive, massive improvements. But as as someone sitting on a seat and boy, like, I don't know, I don't know about you. And I mean, you know, it's a great privilege to be able to even travel locally to Melbourne or whatever. But, oh, man, these seats are small. They mm. are so small. Like, and, and in the States as well, it's just, it's... Yeah, it's I can't stand being stuck in the middle of a three-seater. Mm. <laughs> it is, it, it is so... It, it, and And... Yeah, I mean, if they would innovate uh, around being able to make decent margins without putting everyone into... And, of course, in Australia, we feel it more because our, our flights are so long. Yeah. You know, to, to be a sardine for three, three and a half hours, everyone can live with that. Start getting into your eights, your tens, your 14 hours, like to L.A., Right, you and get the rest. <laughs> yeah, it's Some of them uh, are twenty plus hours. Yeah, you know, you go to New York. You know, you at your best, you're doing twenty hours at your absolute best, with, yeah. without a, a stopover. So that's very, very hard on the body. I feel like one of the biggest problems they would have to overcome before they could have people just walking around freely, which they do to an extent now, but it's quite limited. I'm just imagining if they have a gym, for example, is they need to solve that turbulence. They need to somehow stop the plane from being as pretty as shaky. They're pretty smooth, though. They are. They, they do a great job. But can you imagine if you're on um, one of these spin classes or something and then the turbulence? Look, the gym occurs? thing, not I a mean, great idea. the problem with the gym thing is you need showers. They do have showers. I know I think Air Singapore, Singapore Air in their first class, I think, has got showers. But... I mean, to provide showers would be another complication. People are not going to want to go to gym if they can't shower. shower. That's true. But I would happily have a cycle. I don't think I'd do much more. I'd, I'd cycle. I'd, I'd go for a cycle on, mm. a, on a stationary bike. I'd pretty much enjoy that. I mean, when you're on a plane, you want to do anything else but just sit, right? Yeah. Treadmills so would be good too. Treadmills. Yeah, just a simple treadmill just to walk. 
yeah even would be good so yeah potentially some of the designs that are on uh on jason's blog there are much more about modules for like a, a booth setting where you can so you can sit at a booth or you, there's like um apartments that where you can lie down yeah. so like beds that sort of stack type thing similar to what you sort of see in japan <laughs> pod pod hotels yeah. and pod yeah. apartments and that kind of thing but they're like designing that into these interiors of the aircraft yeah look i mean the good thing the main thing is uh, safety has improved which is you know always to get there in one piece but the the comforts but let, let's see what airbus it seems like it's still very very early days and a lot of these companies you know even microsoft is based in seattle but they've got a research and also a team in silicon valley mm. and a lot of these companies just like to have people to soak up that that innovative spirit so even a lot of companies that aren't based in San Francisco or Silicon Valley, you know, put a put as he as they call it an outpost there. I think Walmart's got one as well. Oh, okay. Uh, I think Amazon, I think's got one as well. Didn't realize. Yeah. So it's um, you know it, it is a special place with special DNA, and of course Jason worked at Google and also working on modular mm, modular projects. They look pretty cool. Mm, great idea. Ara. Ara? Ara. Ara, A-R-A, yeah. right? I'm not sure how you pronounce it's it. Yeah. Awkward name. But they look great. Yeah. They look like you can put little um, extra, what's the word for it? Components. Like super duper yeah. camera if that's what you wanted. Yeah. And uh, more memory if that's also what you wanted. And But they look cool too. Like They look as like nice... Um, Nicely designed gadgets. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that that went anywhere, unfortunately. But um, I think Google's still trying to trying to find the sweet spot for their own phones. You know, now they got the mm. Pixel, and the, in the past they had the Nexus or partnered with Nexus. They're still trying to find their yeah you know, their pathway out. That's becoming phone. a little bit more like Apple when, in the sense that they're creating like an ecosystem of their own technologies mm-hmm. that only talk to each other. Yeah. So you're either a Google person or an Apple person. Yes. <laughs> Whereas Google used to sort of be a bit more broad in my mind. It's true. It's true. It's, it's starting becoming, to be the same. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's like being a cat or dog person. Anyway, that's episode number 93. It's a Monkey Podcast. Thanks for listening. We also haven't had for a few weeks a startup minute. So I'll just mention if you're a a startup or a small tech company and you want some free publicity and a link on our blog, send us an MP3 that's 30 seconds. Tell us what you do and we're happy to give you some free promotion. doesn't cost anything. So all promotion is good promotion and you can just send us an MP3 and we'll put it Uh, in the show thanks for listening hope you've enjoyed it tweet us email us and we will see you next week see ya